Hi, everybody, and welcome to Wednesday night um, online. It's so good to be coming your way. And we've, as you know, been going through questions Jesus asked. You know, when Jesus asked a question, he didn't need our answer. Hidden, well, I say hidden. Um, I should, a better way to put it might be um, encased or right there in front of you with every question Jesus asked, there was a message or an encouragement for him, for him, from him to get us to think about something that maybe we've never thought about. Uh, Jesus never needed our answer to any question, but we needed to answer the question so that we could learn. Jesus was a master communicator, uh, never a better one, greatest preacher that's ever trod uh, planet earth. Um, and he was the master teacher. That's why they called him rabbi. And so he would teach just expositorially. You know, he would teach line upon line. He would teach just in, in plain uh, Greek or Aramaic. Um, but he would also teach by asking questions. So we're going to look at two questions tonight. And in these questions, there are powerful messages for you and for me. So I want to encourage you to grab your Bible. Please don't uh, come on Wednesday night without a Bible because I've got mine right here and I'm going to be teaching. Most of my quotes are out of the New King James. And I want you to turn to the verses with me and read them with me so that we can just go over the word of God uh, together. I think it blesses you when you when you pick up that Bible and follow along. Now, here's the first question, and this is one of my favorites. I can't tell you how many times I've preached um, an evangelistic message from this question from Jesus, and how many times I've just slipped it into a message to you. Um, here it is. Jesus asked, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So there's kind of two questions wrapped up in one there. And that's Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. So let's read it again. Matthew 16, verse 26. What profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Matthew 16, verse 26. Now, for me, this is one of Jesus' most probing, universally relevant questions of all. Now, you know the context probably, but I'll give it to you in case you don't. The context is found in Matthew's gospel, as I've already quoted, chapter 16, as I let you know already, where Jesus has been discussing the necessity for believers to pick up their cross and follow him. Now, remember what I told you about context. When you study this book, your Bible, any verse you read, there's a context. In other words, that verse is somewhere in a chapter. Maybe it's even at the beginning of a chapter. But even if it's verse one at the beginning of a chapter, you need to look at the last couple of verses of the last chapter to see what led into the first verse in the next chapter. Uh, if the verse is later on in the chapter, you need to look at what came before it and what comes after it because context is everything, all right? As we say in, in um, well, we said in seminary, it's a good thing to remember. A text without a context is a pretext. In other words, a just pulling a text 
out of its context and not reading the context is how a lot of false teaching comes about. Because you, you, you pull a verse out and, and then you create a doctrine out of that one verse without looking to see what came in front of it and what came after it. Because the context will often give you the meaning, all right? So the meaning here is Jesus has been teaching about the necessity of picking up your cross and following him. Now, let me read it to you. Matthew 16, verse 24, if you want to turn there with me. Matthew 16, 24, here's the context. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Catch that phrase, deny himself. And take up his cross and then follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Verse 26, here comes the question. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? The complimentary question or the addendum question. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each man or woman according to his or her works. Now, the context is really important here. It helps us to make way more sense out of Jesus' question, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What came before it? Well, that we must take up our own cross and follow him. And that if we're not willing to take up our own cross and follow him, we literally will not be able to follow him in the long haul till the end when you're supposed to break that finish tape, either at the end of your life or when Christ comes again in the rapture of the church. Either way, Jesus is saying, if you want to reach the end victoriously, triumphantly, successfully, fully in the will of God, then you're going to have to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Now, what does he mean when he says, take up your cross? Notice he doesn't say his cross, but he says, take up your cross and follow me. So what does he mean, take up your cross? Well, uh, we've all heard somebody say somewhere along the way, I've heard it so many times, uh, somebody who's dealing with, say, a long-term illness, uh, or they're going through some incredible long-term fiery trial that is just uh, taking them to the mat. And so in, in dealing with it, they, they say something like this. Well, this is just the Lord's cross for me to bear. And I've heard people say that like that were, bless their hearts, struggling with cancer, struggling with heart disease, struggling with some terrible loss. And they say, well, this is just God's cross for me to bear. This is my cross to bear that God has given me. Well, I got to tell you, that is not the meaning that Jesus has for us here. Uh, he's not saying that terrible things we go through are our cross to bear. The cross has everything to do with this. When my will comes into conflict with his will, then I must pick up my cross. And that means, now, what do you do on a cross? There's only one thing somebody does on a cross. They die on the cross. Remember Jesus said, deny yourself. Then he said, take up your cross and follow me. So what is the cross? 
It's self-denial. Uh, but it's not walking around with a martyr complex, always having a sad face, looking like you just lost your best friend. That's not going to win anybody to Jesus. No. Here's what it means. When it's a conflict between my will and his will, then Jesus said, you're never going to successfully follow me unless at that juncture, at that point of decision, you say, here's where I give up my own desire, my own will, my own wishes and wants. I pick up my cross. I deny myself so that I can continue to follow him. Because you see, so often, because we still live in a body of flesh and we're still selfish much of the time, our will comes into conflict with God's will. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood, and he was just hours away from betrayal and torture and the cross? Remember when he said, Father, if there's any way for this to pass from me, let it pass. Nevertheless, now watch this, not my will, but thine be done. That's the cross. That's the cross. And so Jesus is telling us, um, you're not going to be able to follow me in discipleship. You're not going to be able to bear, <clears throat> bear much fruit unless you get to the place where you're picking up your cross and following me. And, um, you know, this, this works out in a lot of ways. Let me give you one example. Let's say tomorrow somebody offends you, really hurts your feelings. They betray you. They stab you in the back. And your immediate reaction is anger. And, you know, understandably, you're hurt. You can't believe they did it. It's washing over you. It is killing you. It is taking you to the mat. And your first reaction is vengeance. Your first reaction is to tell them off. Your first reaction is um, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And if you're not careful, what you'll do is you'll develop what the Bible calls in the book of Hebrews a root of bitterness because you start rehearsing uh, what was done to you. You start nursing what was done to you. You nurse it. You rehearse it. And before long, you start dispersing it onto others and trying to get them to pick up your offense. If you're not careful, that bitterness will take you away from Christ, out of the will of God. And here is where your will is coming into conflict with God's will. Because you know what God said. He said, forgive one another, even as I have forgiven you. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 15, if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Jesus really turned the screw when it came to forgiveness. So we know that what his will is, his will is for me to forgive. But my flesh is saying, Lord, if there's any other way that I can get through this without forgiving them, please show me. But then we need to follow with what Jesus said. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Well, I know what his will is. It's that I forgive. So I pick up my cross and it goes against my flesh. The, the cross never feels good to the flesh and I forgive them. And when I forgive them, I'm able to continue following Christ in discipleship. But if I don't forgive them, everything comes to a halt. Everything is frozen in time.
I will not advance any further in God's will and work until I do what he said. So that's one example of picking up your cross. So Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life by living a life of self-will will lose it. But whoever loses his life gives up a life of self-will for my sake will find his life. And that's the way it is. And it's on the heels of this statement that Jesus says, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Now, the bottom line is this. His question is teaching us, nothing is more valuable than your soul. Nothing. So whatever is getting in the way between you and fully yielding to Christ and seeing to the salvation of your soul, anything standing in the way of it needs to be done away with so that you can be saved and follow Christ all the rest of the days of your life. Nothing is more valuable than your soul. What good is gaining the whole world, everything you've ever wanted, all the money, all the success, the power, prestige, material things, everything you've ever imagined, if at the end of your life, you fail to see to the saving of your soul, nothing is worth it. Nothing is worth it. Anything standing in, in the way of you and being saved is worthless in comparison. And anything standing in the way of you and following Jesus to the end, once you are saved, is not worth it. Don't let it get in your way. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus hammers the question in one more time. The answer is all the wealth and success the world could ever give you is a pitiful trade-off if you lose your soul in the process. I remember watching a movie, and I'll close this question with this. I was watching this movie, and a man was lost in the desert. He was all by himself, and it was like a Sahara desert. It was horribly hot. 110, 120 degrees, and he's, he's lost in the desert. There's nothing green, uh, just endless sand hills, endless mounds of endless sand, and the, the heat is just beating down on him. He's panting, uh, he, he's sweating, he's desperate, he's on all fours, he's now crawling, he's walked as far as he can, and now he's crawling. He's thinking one thing, Water. I need water. I must have water. And he's hoping for a miracle. And in the movie, he casts his eyes in the distance and he sees what he believes to be a beautiful pool of water. Beautiful pool of water. He shouts. He cries out. He starts crawling fast as he can. He finally stands up on his feet and, and in very uncertain steps, starts taking uh, more and more steps and walking and carrying himself as fast as he can. And he gets to that certain area where he's convinced he saw the water and only to realize it was a mirage. It was the heat of the sun hitting the sand and causing those heat waves to rise up. And in his demented state, he thought it was water, and all he's got now is sand sifting through his trembling fingers, 
and he knows he's going to die. Now listen to me. Here's the deal. Jesus said, if you chase anything other than him, if you let anything get in the way and you believe the lie that anything is going to fulfill you like water can, like real water can, if you think anything is going to satiate your thirst, if you think that anything is going to do the trick, you're wrong because you will reach the end of your life and realize you might have gained the whole material world, but what did it profit you if you lost your soul? It was only a mirage. That's all. So the answer to Jesus' question is, nothing, Lord, is more valuable than my soul, uh, and nothing is worth trading for it. I can't trade in anything. Um, that has remotely the value that my soul does. So I just want to ask you a question. I, most people watching me right now are no doubt saved. Um, but you know, even after we're saved, we can get sidetracked, start chasing something, some mirage, going after something that's not real water. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you water where you will never thirst again. It's the real deal, living water the waters of his Holy Spirit springing up in your soul into everlasting life. So I pray that listening to the question, what shall that profit a man if he gains the whole world, loses his own soul, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Uh, the answer is not a thing. So let's be a church in 2021 and for the rest of our days that, that chase Jesus, live for Jesus, and refuse to chase a useless mirage. Amen? So I love that question. Now let's look at one more question tonight. This is a great one. Jesus asked in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, if you want to turn there with me, Luke chapter 6, verse 46. Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Why do you call me Lord, 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 but you don't do what I say. Now again, context is everything. So what's the context? Well, the context for this question from Jesus is found in Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. All right? Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus delivered a masterpiece of the most profound teaching on life and living ever uttered on earth. I don't care who you look at, what philosopher you read, I don't care. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, uh, some famous Greek philosopher, German philosopher, American philosopher, Chinese philosopher, I don't care, you go to Confucius, you go to Buddha, all the people that are considered to be great teachers and philosophers in life, none of them ever taught anything like the Sermon on the Mount or like our Lord Jesus taught, none of them. Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount on prayer, fasting, giving, forgiveness, worry, reconciliation, love, sin, how to handle adversity, how to respond to enemies, priorities, hypocrisy, God's care for us, false prophets, and so much more. You ought to go read it, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Do it with a pen and just start underlining it. I memorized the whole thing because it was so rich. 
I just took time. I took a few weeks and I memorized the entire Sermon on the Mount word for word because, listen, it will change your life and renew your mind. But now, it's right towards the end of this masterpiece of teaching on life and living when Jesus asked the question, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't do the things which I say. Now, here's what he's doing. He's making a powerful statement in the form of a question. And I want us to hear this now. If you say I'm your Lord, I've just given you three chapters of teaching on essentially everything and anything on life and living that you need to know. All right, I just gave it to you. But what he was doing is he was anticipating people who would read it and not do it. He was anticipating people who would read it and maybe even marvel over it, but they wouldn't walk away and practice it. So he's saying in anticipation of that, why are you saying Lord, Lord? Why do you call me your Lord if knowing what I taught, you're not obeying it, you're not living it, you're not doing it, you're not assimilating it, you're not making it a part of your lifestyle. Now here's what I've noted taking place in American Christianity. And I've been around a while. I've been teaching and preaching since I was 19 years old. I've been pastoring 37 years. I've been around a while. And I've noticed this in American Christianity, there is a trend that has been coming on stronger and stronger. And that is professing Christians not living out in their lifestyles, the commands and teachings of Jesus. You know, they Oh, I love the Lord. Oh, I'm in church. Kumbaya. Hallelujah. But when you look at their lifestyles, um, you become painfully aware that, wow, you know, they say they're a Christian, but look at this. They're not living what Jesus clearly taught. Where, where is the, the miss? Something is missing here. Well, Jesus anticipated that. Why are you calling me Lord? Because you're not doing what I taught. One observer was so disturbed by this that he coined a phrase. Ready? Christian atheism. Christian atheism. And he said Christian atheism means that you, you've got somebody who's professing to be a Christian, but in their lifestyle, they're living like an atheist. In other words, they're not patterning their lives after the things that Jesus taught. They're living like people who don't have a God who aren't submitted to God or any, to, to, to a God or the Bible God, but they're saying, I'm a Christian. So he said to me, that's Christian atheism. Now, just, that's a paradox. That's a contradiction in terms. And, and you're right because it's a contradiction in life. What you're saying is not what you're doing and what you're doing doesn't line up with what you're saying. So, Here's what they do. This is what I've noticed. You got Christians who will simply cherry pick the teachings of Jesus that they like while ignoring the commands that they don't like. Okay, so I'm just going to cherry pick. Well, I like what Jesus said here, but I don't like what he said there. So I'm going to ignore this one and I'm going to go ahead and, and do this one because I, I kind of like this one. For instance, they like going to church because they like meeting up with friends. They like the social fellowship but they might be in bars on Friday night abusing alcohol, okay? You know, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, that's what they're doing. 
And so, yeah, yeah, I'm in church because the Bible says, don't forsake this assembling of yourselves together. Well, I'm good with that command because I like the social fellowship. But when it comes to abusing alcohol, be, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit. Well, I don't like that one. So I'm just going to ignore that and kind of chalk that up to some first century issue that doesn't really apply to me. Or here's another example. They like what Jesus said about the heavenly father taking care of all your needs. Oh, we love that one. Jehovah Jireh, this, that, and the other. Jehovah Jireh is going to take care of me. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He's going to take care of all my needs through Christ Jesus. But they ignore the Lord's commands about sexual purity until marriage. Okay. Now this is happening all the time. Uh, I've taught personally to people who say, well, you know, I just don't believe it. that's for today. Or I believe if you love somebody, then it's not sin. Or they say, we're married in God's eyes. And I say, really? Are you really married in God's eyes? How do you know that? Well, he told us we were. Oh, he did. So you're saying that God contradicted his word in your case. Now you say, but Jeff, um, what's a piece of paper? Well, I want you to remember that when Jesus was talking about divorce, he said, whosoever puts away his wife or gives her a certificate of divorce without justification causes her to commit adultery and so on and so forth. But I want you to note the phrase certificate of divorce. What does that tell us? It tells us that Jesus assumed if you were married, it was a legal transaction. Because why then would he say, don't give her a certificate, that's a legal, a legal transaction of divorce without just cause, and that being sexual sin, okay? So clearly, Jesus assumed that if you were married, you had done it legally. And let's not forget, his first miracle was performed where? at a wedding, and that's where he turned the water into wine. Now, my only point is this, that the Christian atheism kind of runs that way. We say, well, I believe in Jesus. However, I, 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 I'm just going to ignore what he said about um, if I get involved intimately, physically intimately with somebody before marriage, that's called fornication and that's a sin. Uh, so, that's as much something I should be obeying and trying to honor. Now, I know it's a struggle. I know it's a battle. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to beat anybody up. I'm just wanting you to see that Jesus um, really let us know that, listen, if you're going to say you know him, if you're going to call him Lord, 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 then why aren't you doing what he said? In other words, you ought to be doing what I said if I'm your Lord. So another thing he said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and this has always got me, this is a tough saying, but here's what Jesus said. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is continuing this thought now, Lord, Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? You don't do what I say. And then there's gonna be a, this group of people saying, Lord, Lord, Um shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Not everybody that says, Lord, Lord, is going to get there. But he who does, watch this, the will 
of my Father who is in heaven. In other words, he who lives out to the best of their ability what I taught. Now, I don't do it perfectly, and no one does. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. But I am saying that we read the Bible. This is our rule book, our guidebook for living. This is it. This is our roadmap for life. This is it. And in this roadmap for life is everything we need to know about godliness and how to live godly. And once we read it, James said, what good does it do to you to hear it and not do it? Because if you hear it and don't do it, you're not walking in faith. So listen to John. John said, uh, let me see if I can find it. Well, I'm going to leave it alone because you know what? I've really, I don't want to let you think that I'm coming against you or condemning you. I really don't. Because you know what, folks? We're all flesh. We fail. We fall short. And I know that you do. I do. But I want you to understand that Jesus asked a question. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you're not doing what I taught? So we ought to all wake up every day with the number one goal of living out the Christian faith per what Jesus taught. And that's the message that was in his question. So I hope that you enjoyed the questions this time. Uh, we dealt with two of them and I've really enjoyed coming to you. Uh, we love you. Cindy and I both love you in Jesus and we love seeing you in church. Let me remind you that we're meeting in person now. And I'm just going to continue to remind you and encourage you that um, if you started getting away during COVID, then I want to encourage you, unless you do have um, a physical condition that makes you particularly uh, susceptible or uh, it puts you in danger of COVID really, really harming you, then I understand you're not coming. But if you're healthy, if you're good, um, you're going to Home Depot, you're going to work, you're going to other public places, listen, listen, church is more essential to you than any of those places. We miss you. We miss your gift. We miss your smile. We miss your encouragement. We miss you. So please pray about coming back. We love you. I'll see you Sunday at either 9 or 11. God bless. May his smile be upon you.